This is the new Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Chai FM, and I'm happy to welcome to the show. He hasn't been with us for a while, but we have had him on the show before, but it is good to have him in studio. And in fact, Ilan Ossendriver. Thank, a, thank yeah. you very much, and uh, nice to be back here. I think before COVID I was here, <laughs> but it's really good to be back and uh, with you guys and our listeners out there. Yeah, photographer and um, news photographer, and actually... Uh, before all of this happened, Ilan, you had done a a, 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 a presentation at Limud, a session at Limud this year, actually about your experiences. I suppose most people in the community know you as someone who takes uh, photographs of events in South Africa and particularly in the Jewish community. But you had a long history as a photographer in uh, covering Israeli presidents and prime ministers. Absolutely. And it all started even before that when I was uh, going into Soweto taking photos of life under apartheid. And eventually I was told if I continue support uh, fighting against the apartheid regime, uh, I would be detained and put in jail. So I decided to leave South Africa, went to the States where I got a degree in journalism, came back, spent my time in Soweto. And then I decided I'm going to go to Israel and uh, be a photojournalist in Israel where I spent 20 years covering, you know, almost seven Israeli prime ministers, three American presidents, uh, British prime ministers, Michael Jackson's private photographer. But I also covered a lot of incredible stuff and very sad stuff. And some of it actually kind of reminds me of what's going on today. I've covered suicide bombings that happened almost every week in Israel going to a funeral every day, and this is what is happening in Israel today with what's going on with Hamas, and um, the journalists covering, covering this thing, it's not easy to be seeing uh, death in front of your eyes because you're Jewish and you are covering this, and going to a funeral a day, I mean, it gets to you, and it certainly got to me, seeing people, because of who we are, being murdered, not because of a Palestinian state, but just because we're Jewish, and uh, this is what uh, the West and what we have to realize and as photographers and journalists, you know, we have to report this and, and show it out there. One said we were very scared of showing you horrific pictures, but in this war, which with social media and everybody putting out everything, uh, we have to show you what what is happening and put us up there, even if it's, um, it's terrible. But uh, we have to do this to fight all the different uh, versions of what uh, what's going on that is not correct. So let's just take a quick step back. Uh, how does it work? I think the industry's changed to some extent. But when you were when you were working, do you work for yourself? Were you a freelancer? Were you connected to an agency? What does it mean to, as you said, cover the Israeli president or cover these sorts of things? How, how does that at a structural level? So after so after study Hebrew and I tried to study a bit of Arabic, I got a job in Tel Aviv at a photo agency called Israel Sun, and I also worked for another one uh, called Israel Press and Photo Agency. And uh, once you were there, uh, they accepted me because they liked my work, and uh, which uh, which I was very proud of. And from then on, you are thrown into one of the most incredible areas uh, to be a photojournalist. You get a press card from the government uh, press agency. And in fact, when I once went down to Gaza, when it was, uh, I used to get a special, uh, kind of like a Palestinian card or whatever it is to go into Gaza those days. I mean, they're talking about years back. But you, you become part of a photo agency. And because Israel is such a small place, you get to cover everything because the distance between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem is only about 60, 70 kilometers. So you can go there and do the stories in the same day. And therefore, you're covering all kinds of aspects of political and economic and social life of, of, of Israel. 
on all levels and it's and it's an incredible way to be a photojournalist because being in Israel you get to see things and experiencing that most people have will never experience in life and did you pick the stories that you wanted to cover or did the the, the agency kind of say to you Ilan you know uh, the, the Prime Minister is giving a speech today. Don't you want to go and, and, and check it out for us? Yes, uh, yes. And also stories that I found myself, but most of the stories are happening and you go cover it. So, for example, some of the most incredible stories that I've covered was the peace treaty between Jordan and Israel. I accompanied the late Rabin, Yisak Rabin, to Cairo with, when he met Yasser Arafat in public with Mubarak. And these are stories that, that, uh, the press cover. If you look at the world's press, I mean, it's unbelievable. A country so small like Israel, we have, I think, the third or fourth biggest, uh, press corps in the world. I think the number one is Washington, then comes, uh, Moscow, then London, and then probably Israel. So it, when you were doing this, uh, and, and, and following around, I mean, how much interaction did you have with the foreign press corps? I mean, were there, were there a lot of international journalists? That, uh, that, that were there at the time, uh, and, and, and what, what was your relationship with them? So the relationship was quite incredible. I mean, you're starting out as a photojournalist and you are in a press conference with some of the best incredible reporters, uh, of the day. I mean, you can take from New York Times, Friedman, you can take from NBC, CBS, NBC, CBS, whatever it is, CNN, and you're all working and you look around and you say, oh, we're in the same room as some of the best writers, uh, journalistic writers in the world and photographers. And uh, it's actually quite an amazing thing And uh, if you're starting out and it actually uplifts you to become a better journalist. Which I've, which today, let me just interject there, which I'm very upset about because today photojournalism not so much photojournalism, but journalism today around the world is not like it used to be. It used to be where when you write something, it was unbelievably well fa- uh, researched. Today, somebody sends a press release into the newspaper and they just publish it verbatim or without even understanding or even going thing. This is the typical thing what happened with now with the hospital in um in Gaza, you know, nobody wants death, nobody wants this, but when a rocket is fired, is misfired, and immediately the, the, the propaganda or the public relations of Hamas said is Israel, once it's out there, it's very hard to get back. But it's proven that it was, it was wrong. But that's then it's too late because then we have to go on the offensive and say that this is, this is the truth, but it's already out there and people will still, for their own self uh, purposes will still put it out there that the Israelis did it. It took a long time before they, I don't even think Al Jazeera has taken off where 500 people, uh, were murdered by Israelis at the hospital. Whereas the world has known that it was a, a local Islamic jihad rocket that misfired. Very, very interesting. Talking to Ilan Osendriver today. He's a photojournalist, uh, and we're talking to him about how is the news made. This is the new blue review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Chai FM talking to Ilan Olsen Driver today about his experiences as a photojournalist and some of the things that uh, we need to be thinking about when we read the news. Now, Ilan, just before the break, we were talking about the, the rest of the other press corps. Uh, obviously, you were there as a kind of a South African Israeli uh, in terms of your perspective on what was going on. But we often hear sort of uh, accusations that the foreign press doesn't really understand the story in Israel uh, and that some of them are even coming with biased agendas in the case of Al Jazeera for sure. But but maybe even some of the Western, you know, the New York, New York Times just put 
rehired someone as their Gaza rep who is a big praiser of Hitler. Like in your time when you were doing this, was was a question of bias a big deal when you dealt with some of these international journalists? First of all, there'll always be some kind of bias. There's no such a thing as a straightforward uh, A B C D. There's all, there'll always be bias. But what I found with, res- with reputable journalists, photojournalists, and photographers, writers, that they were true to the story. But it also depends where they come from. I mean, Al Jazeera once in a thousand will write something that is kind of like equal. But they have an, they also have an agenda. So does everybody have an agenda? Um, the, the truth is that, um, most of the photographers and journalists that I knew were, were really straightforward in their reporting. They told the truth and we weren't manip- manipulative. I mean, you hear the stories of that, uh, people coming through. You also get what's called the fly-in journalist. Mm-hmm. Where he's coming to Israel for two or three days, or no matter, even here in South Africa, come in and you have to write a story. And if you can't find a story, then you'll try, like, create a story. And it happens, it happens uh, in the, in the, in the West Bank or whatever. You arrive and then suddenly everything pops up and everybody's filming, which, which then they got a story. But, uh, I mean, there are stories where in, in the, uh, in some of the, uh, West Banks, for example, in, in uh, Nablus, Shrem, where there were Palestinians with cinder blocks ready to drop on soldiers of, Isra- of Israel, Israeli soldiers, and the journalists themselves warned them. The soldiers, hey, be careful up there. There's people going to drop cinder blocks. You, you could have said, nah, you know, this is going to be a good story. But no, there's a lot of ethics. And the night that Rabin uh, was assassinated, I was there that evening covering it for the Jerusalem Post. And um, journalists were crying from... <laughs> Other countries saying to me, Elan, what does this mean? What is this? And I said, well, tonight Israel's changed forever. And then suddenly this last two weeks, Israel's changed forever again. So where does it end? But mostly, if you're an ethical uh, newspaper or news outlet, you will, you will check facts. Mm-hmm. But today, newspapers are kind of like in a way irrelevant because you and I can start our own little uh, Instagram or TikTok account and say what I want to say without anybody uh, coming to scream at you because you can uh, you can say what you want. And then you'll get a following depending on how vocal you are. And it doesn't matter if you're telling the truth or untruth. You can say whatever you want. So therefore, in a way, journalism has kind of like gone backwards because now that social media is so easy to put your your thoughts and this is where you have to be very critical and understanding. As a photographer, also be careful because uh, your photos or photos can be manipulated to, to 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 point out a narrative that you want or what somebody wants. Yeah. So you've got to be very careful how your photos are used. Like there's a lot of photos I've, that I uh, have that I've never published because I knew they would be used in such a way that it's not true, just that they look ugly, but they don't give the right meaning. Now. That's a, that's another question about the meaning of the story, right? I think if you were, uh, and I'm seeing it already also in like the New York Times, and it's kind of easy to to report on the Palestinians in some respect, right? Because it's the poor Palestinian story, right? Yeah. Everyone, it, it's not like Palestinian civilians are not in a bad way or, or have big issues, but the context is kind of lost, and so the whole story becomes about uh, some Palestinian doctor in a hospital somewhere who's having to treat people who, who um, 
you know, died from a very scary Israeli bomb. It's an easier story to write than you know, what's happening in Israel because it's seen as the more powerful party. And, uh, and, and so the, the, there's no built in sympathy for the reader who, to try and understand what's going on. Is, is that also something that you found when, when you, when you were covering it or is it, do people dig to try and find the images and the stories that can maybe be a bit different or break through the clutter or, or whatever? Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's this David and Goliath kind of story that, uh, no matter, we, they see us as a powerful na- uh, people. And you ask, by the way, you ask how many people, how many Jews on earth? Most people say like 100 million, 200 million. There's only 15 million of us. But we've given so much to, uh, this world in terms of, uh, technology and health and agriculture. People tend to forget that. But even from that, what I'm saying is that even the Palestinian neighbors, which I hope one day they'll get a Palestinian state and leave us alone, but they benefit from us. Mm-hmm. They benefit from our technology. They benefit from uh, the way they see it, like Israel lives. That's how they want their children to grow up, you know, with a family and getting good education. And unfortunately, in where they are, it's, it's not allowed. And uh, pictures like this and how they're treated don't get out because uh, the Palestinian Authority and, and Hamas and all these people don't want this to get out because it, it spoils their agenda. Right. You know, unfortunately, and I really, and I've had Palestinian friends who are photographers and journalists, and one day we wanted to start this whole incredible media company. I was going to do the the English and the Hebrew, and they were going to do the Arabic side, and we had this incredible goal to show how we can, you know, coexist. And then, of course, everything, uh, you know, the Intifada breaks out and uh, things change. But... Um, you know, the bottom line is we all want to live, and unfortunately, Palestinian leadership, in my way, I think they're very rejectionist, because we could have solved this problem, I think, a long time ago, but just that, I think, for certain groups within uh, that area, just want to see the annihilation of Jewish people and the state of Israel, so how do you actually deal with it? How do you come to say, look, you guys, we had to stay, you had to stay, let's deal with it, and through the media, through photography, you can actually show coexistence and how we can do it. And that's the meaning of photography as well, not just giving a story, but also to dictate, uh, you know, future, you know, uh, trends between the two peoples to, to show that we can coexist. We do that in music a lot. Mm. Why not through visual and art, you yeah, know? Absolutely. If it, we can definitely do it, but it's, it's a tough thing because people are, have their minds closed and uh, they don't want to see the wider picture. So we were talking about the rockets earlier in the, in the hospital and, and, and whatever. And I think it would be great to take people through the process of how it works and how uh, these things are covered and operated. So, so if you were uh, there at the moment or obviously getting into Gaza is hard, but any one of these stories that is currently running around – uh, how would you go about covering something like this if you were a, a photojournalist? Where, where do you start? <laughs> That's a very hard one these days. When I used to go into Gaza with a press card, it was easy. Mm-hmm. You know, you felt safe. Today, I don't think so. I think for any journalist, whether you're Israeli or Palestinian, it's not that easy because, first of all, you're working under a system that is very repressive there in Gaza, so they're not going to let you free-reign democracy, go take pictures of what you want and show what you want. They want to show their narrative. So therefore, you've got to be there there under their supervision. Same as you go to North Korea, even China, there, you know, or Iran. You know, you, you can't just go around uh, doing what you want as a photojournalist and doing a story, you know. It doesn't work like that anymore. 
Um, I mean, there, there is an interesting point, though, just before you carry on the photojournalist angle here. Gaza wasn't always like it is today. Uh, it was actually a much more permeable place where people went in and out. Uh, I've heard stories from people of Gazans who would go to Tel Aviv Beach yeah. for the day and then c- go back home in the evenings. It's a, it, this was your experience as well, is that it wasn't? Uh, yeah, Gaza you know, was an amazing place. I mean, the, the markets, the, the beachfront, you know, could it be in like, um, like Central Pair of the Middle East? It could have been an incredible place, but yet, uh, groups rather, Instead of investing, uh, invested in uh, other ways and, you know, it's against Israel, but, you know, instead of the population and improving their lives. But I mean, you know, you talk about, um, Gaza being an open prison. Just look at some of the beautiful images of the streets in Gaza. They're beautiful. I mean, they're part, because it's claustrophobic, but yet it, um, there was restaurants, there's, there's a life there and there was life. And even though it was really restrictive, but uh, that's not the point. Is that um, you know you got to show the world what the truth is. Mm. You know their leadership can change their lives in one bit. I mean, uh, you know, half the Palestinians living in Gaza don't want to live under Hamas rule because it's, you know they want to be a democracy where they can earn money, create ideas, work technology in conjunction with uh, with Israelis in fact there are some Israelis that have created startup companies in uh, Gaza which uh, i don't know if they're still running today but you know uh, people got to get over the fact that we that Israel's uh, got to get that we there to stay and therefore uh, start thinking about the future for their children is it was that the sort of attitude that you found when you when you spoke to Palestinian journalists these people that you were working with on this company was that was that their viewpoint as well depends I mean, uh, we spoke, but not a lot. We were more there just taking our photos, doing what we needed. We didn't sit down and have real-time conversations. But uh, we all knew that uh, we had a job to do, and um, you couldn't express all your feelings because you were scared for your life. You know, you can't. It's not like uh, like in a democracy there. You're under a dictatorship. So you can't say what you want. You can't publish what you want. And also... You know, a lot of stories that uh, Hamas or whatever, they're to seeing how you're covering it. And if you don't, in you in line, you're in trouble. Mm. Even if I'm talking about Palestinian and uh, and foreign journalists, it's not that easy. This, it, war's, uh, this war would be a very difficult war to cover because… You uh, can't even get into Gaza if you can't one. get into Gaza. And if you were going down to the kibbutzim and now to cover this uh, intrusion by these uh, terrorists… They didn't give a damn about you. So I was going to say the word shit, but anyway, they didn't give a damn about you because um, they're there for something and you're just in the way. It's not like, uh, you know, the old days where, the, where you came with a press card with a little hat there that says press and you were treated like royalty. Today you're not. You're a burden. Now, talk to us a little bit about the the mental strain that, that this puts you on it. The images are tough. The, the situations are tough. As you said, you're going to funerals every day. People are talking about how in Israel at the moment, every day people are going to funerals. It's just what people are doing at the moment. Uh, Psychologically, it's yeah. unbelievably difficult. I mean, I used to get home and couldn't sleep. I mean, you know, I used to go to, first of all, I used to live uh, near, in Tel Aviv. And one day I was driving up to my agency and there's a beeper. At that time I had beepers. There was no email. Cell phones. Cell phones. And I see a, a bomb explodes on bus on Dizengov. And I just look around and I see I've just passed it. And 
to witness this and the smells and the uh, and everything, it's, it just gets to your mind. And I went on the second floor of this building, and as I'm bending down, a friend of mine, a photographer, stops me and says, "Be careful! There was somebody's arm on the ledge from the from the bus." These images haunt you, and uh, you you remember it. It's not easy to photograph these, and um, you see the the absolute crying and emotions of human beings and it happens on both sides this is what i don't understand why can't people uh, talk but you see this every day and now we're going to be seeing it now in israel and it's going to take a long time because we're still discovering bodies that were barbarically uh treated murdered and under un- unbelievable how human can actually do it you know we 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 always read we always read about the holocaust in the 1945 and the atrocities it's all in history books and in museums, but when you actually see it day to day, and as a photographer covering demonstrations today, and you see the absolute hate against us, uh, it's not that easy. You you have to be strong and say, you know what, we we strong, we'll survive it. And photography and photos show this. I mean, when they, you know, <laughs> clean the streets of Jews and gas the Jews in Australia, the big democracy there. You know, you see all this happening in the way we as photographers got to show this and show the West that, hey, look what's happening in your own streets now. Starts with the Jews and doesn't end with us, by the way, as that, that yeah. saying goes. And Absolutely. Western world, watch out what's going to happen in your streets. Now, Elan, just in terms of locally, because in South Africa, we've also had this history of very intense photojournalism and, and there's a thing. There's a movie that was done a few years ago called The Bang Bang Club uh, about yeah. the star reporters that, uh, or reporters from the star rather, that used to cover photographers in, yeah. in, 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 in Soweto. Was it a, would, would you say that that movie was an, an, a, a good approximation of how the process worked? Yeah, the movies are movies, but mm-hmm. these guys, I know them. I wasn't part of them, but they're amazing photographers that had a story to tell and that's, they told it ethically what was going on in the townships and uh, really uh, amazing a bunch of photographers that really wanted to show the world what was happening and uh, the book is much better most times books are better than actual movies but uh, it's, it's worth seeing it and also go see a, a movie called Under Fire that takes place in Nicaragua with Nick Nolte an amazing movie of how photojournalists and photographers have to deal in um uh, paramilitary states and dictatorships and how do you have to work under this it's it's fascinating but the but uh, south african photographers by the way are an amazing bunch of people you know i'm not talking about myself but i'm talking about for example a friend of mine alon sky was an incredible photojournalist and if you look at the photojournalists of this country a lot of them are jewish Mm. you know absolutely uh, yeah and we like we do we're always in the forefront of uh trying to show uh, human rights and that's what we are as human beings even today when I do photographic trips to Soweto, these trips are not just tours, they are coming into Soweto, coming into areas to do social activism to help the community, Hmm. not just a tour, it's not a tour, it's a trip it's an experience and we help with vegetable gardens and this is what we do as a Jewish community we don't sit idly so on, on, on that basis, I mean, where can people see your pictures? Uh, we haven't even covered the, your, you know, your Ethiopian airlift to get the Ethiopian Jews out and yeah. some like really historic pictures out of that and even your, your, your Nelson Mandela stuff. So you have like such a, 
a broad portfolio. Where, peop, where can people see it uh, and also see your pictures of your, your tours to Soweto and all of that sort so of thing? So I have an Instagram account called Tour Soweto, one word, and then I have uh, ic-creations.com where you can see my pictures from which a book I'm going to be publishing now on on different religions praying during COVID. And also, uh, you know, different uh, aspects of life that I've photographed. Also, a lot of it during also COVID, which you can see, and other work as well. Oh, there we go. Absolutely fascinating stuff. Elon Austin Driver, uh, thank you for coming and just giving us that perspective of what, what the kind of uh, pressures and uh, aspects that you have to take it, uh, uh, account of when dealing with uh, with these big uh, events. And thank you for bringing them to us. And for covering them still today, because you, you, you can occasionally, if you look out of the side of your eye, see uh, Ilan covering the occasional protest and uh, whatever for the Jewish Report and, and, and others. So, uh, Ilan, thanks so much and uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you very much. And everybody keep safe out there and be strong. We are incredible people and we just got to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to need to do that. Uh, Ilan Ossendriver, um, go check out his Instagram. Uh, beautiful images there. It's not all just war and uh, and destruction. There's a, there's a lot of... Good things going on and definitely worth having a look at.